Hello and welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. But wait, before we dive into this week's episode, there's something I need to tell you. Audience growth can often be misunderstood, so I want to make something abundantly clear. Audience growth is not about vanity metrics. Oh no, it's not about growing an audience so that you can become an influencer or grow your personal brand. Although if that is what you want to do, then it will undoubtedly help. However, what audience growth is really about is something bigger than that. It's about making sure your business survives and thrives. Because doing business today does involve growing an audience. Your business needs a group of engaged people who care about what you do and who will, at some point during the customer journey, support you, recommend you, and ultimately buy from you. What lies underneath the goal of audience growth is the need to grow and nurture that group of people so that your small business can survive and thrive. So what am I doing to help? Starting on the 4th of October, 2022, I'm running a free challenge to help you grow your audience in three days. If you've joined any of my free challenges before, like thousands of other entrepreneurial women have, then you'll know what to expect. If not, then get ready. It's a vibe. Can I say that without sounding cheesy? Probably not. But trust me, this challenge is fun, free and fast paced. Show up live and you're going to get results in just three days. I promise. We'll share the link in the show notes, or you can sign up right now via this link, nikkihutchison.com forward slash October dash 2022 dash challenge. I can't wait to see you there. Now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm Nikki Hutchison, business and marketing expert and passionate supporter of entrepreneurial women. I've grown both of my businesses using predominantly organic marketing, which is marketing that costs nothing or very little. I believe that getting your organic marketing right first is vital before you spend any money on ads. Another thing that's vital is to get your pricing right. And that's what I'm discussing with today's guest, Sally Farrant, also known as the Pricing Queen. Sally is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how to price your products and services. And I know that you're going to really enjoy some of the gems that she drops today. So let's dive in. So welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast, Sally. Would you be able to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about what you do? I'm Sally Farrant and I am an accountant by background and I'm a pricing expert. And I've basically spent my time looking after small business owners these days to kind of sort out their pricing and grow their business. And how long have you been running your own business? It's about four and a half years now. So yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) And what types of businesses or business owners do you love to work with? So I mostly work with solopreneurs, mostly women, partly because I think a lot of pricing stuff and a lot of money stuff is much more difficult for women. I think there's many more blocks somehow. I think men just kind of power on through and I think women are much less confident in their own abilities. So it's trying to encourage people to be more confident in their own abilities. And anybody who's listening will know that the purpose of this podcast is to teach people how to grow an engaged audience that powers their business. But what happens, Sally, if you manage to nail your marketing... You grow your engaged audience, but you don't get your pricing right. What then? The reality is that you can kind of make your price whatever you want. 
It's not an exact science or anything like that. You can make it whatever you want. But the main thing that I want certainly your listeners to remember is that you need to cover your costs, which includes paying yourself. Because actually a lot of people go, oh, well, it's fine. You know, there's not very much cost in my business. You know, it's just me. I'm a coach. It's just my time. But actually your time is really valuable and you need to make sure you're going to get paid for it. Because actually you go, well, I'll just get like 400 quid fine for a day's work or a week's work or whatever it is. And it's like, but you've got to take something home. This is an expensive hobby if you're not getting paid for it. So it's really important to know what your minimum price needs to be. And I usually say to do that on an hourly basis so that you know every time you talk to a client, you say, I need to be earning £50 an hour, £100 an hour for every hour that I'm in front of that client. And I think that number in your head and making sure you update it regularly is really important. It's simply to think I can just charge what I like. And actually, the reality is you can. And actually, online businesses charge whatever they want because you don't have bricks and mortar businesses and stuff like that. So you often don't have hugely high costs, but it's up to you to differentiate yourself and show yourself in a different niche so that you are not comparing. So for me, there are hundreds of accountants, right? There's loads of them out there, but there aren't very many people who talk just about pricing and therefore you become an expert and therefore it's much more difficult for people to compare me to other accountants, there's kind of no easy price comparison. And I think that also makes a big difference to being able to kind of get out there and charge the prices that you want to. Yeah, so you've really created your own niche. And when it comes to the customers that you work with, is it mainly product-based or service-based or a mix? So I do work with product businesses, but I mostly work smaller businesses. I work with service businesses mostly. I work with product businesses, which are usually a bit bigger. That's where I do a kind of full-on done-for-you service. And how long into your business did you specialise? Did you niche down into pricing? It's probably nearly two years before I kind of went, actually, the one thing that everybody asks me about is pricing, and it kind of comes down to pricing almost all the time. Everybody has a pricing problem somewhere. It doesn't matter whether you're a six-figure business or just starting out. There is always issues with pricing and getting it right and earning enough is always a bit of a challenge and making sure you're not burning out in the process. Absolutely agree with that. So once you'd made that decision to niche down, you mentioned that this is something that people were asking you about all the time. What difference did that make to your business and how long did it take for that to have an effect? So before, I'm what's called a management accountant, right? Which is where I'm in people's business and I help them with their numbers inside their businesses. But actually, if you say you're an accountant, everybody thinks that you're about tax and year-end accounts and, you know, making sure you get all of that done. Well, I don't do that. So it was quite a muddy thing. For me, it made my messaging much clearer. So it's much easier social media, doing things like this, so turning up to be a guest speaker, all of that sort of stuff is much, much clearer. And it therefore attracts the clients that need help with that very specific thing. And actually, it probably took maybe three or four months before I really started to see an influx. And then pretty much all my clients have come through that now. Certainly my solopreneur clients, my more expensive done-for-you clients are probably more complicated businesses, but lots of people come and get pricing advice from me. And it's made a really big difference. And it kind of found me rather than I didn't go, oh yes, like today, let's do the pricing thing. Actually, it kind of found me because that's what everybody was asking about. And I think it's a false thing to say, oh, my niche is this because that's what I want it to be. Because actually, you just want to go, well, look, these are the things that people are asking me about. 
And that often means it finds you rather than the other way around. Which is the dream scenario. You don't have to go round and round in circles, scratching your head and thinking, oh, what should I be talking about? Or, you know, what should my niche be? Because that can be really challenging. Uh, Yeah, and I think as well, it's a really clear thing. So people understand pricing. It's not something people go, oh, I don't really understand what that means and what that is. And so I think that also makes a big difference. So you mentioned that pretty much everybody has a pricing issue in their business. Can you share some examples, without naming any names, obviously, of pricing mistakes that have really made you cringe? So massively underpricing because you're new. So thinking that you're going to go really cheap because you're new to it. Now, often you come out of a job or you've got experience in something or you've trained or you're qualified. I find it a lot with psychotherapists and people like that who have got like years of experience in the NHS and they're like, oh, can't charge as much. And I'm like, you've got all this background of experience, so don't forget all of that. And also that it's harder to put your price up. If you're doing one-off clients, it's kind of slightly different. But if you're going to have ongoing clients, it's much harder to put your price up more than about 5 to 10% a year. So don't price too low to start with. Make sure you put your prices up every single year. So at the moment, inflation is obviously running at some ridiculous rate. But I always say you should be putting up your prices around about 5% a year. Because if you then wait five years, you can't put your prices up 20%. People will go, I can't do that. But actually, if you put your price up 5%, it's not enough. It may be as 50, 100 pounds a month and people are going, oh, well, that's fine. If you put it up like three or 400 quid, they're like, whoa, maybe we need to rethink our relationship. And actually putting up prices, most people don't want to change supplier. You know, you've got a virtual assistant, you are not going to want to go out and get another one because that's a right pain. You've got to go and re-onboard them. You know, social media, all the things that you outsource in your business. If you like that person, you are not going to want to change. And people expect a price rise. And certainly at the moment, they really do. On the opposite side of real low prices is that kind of, right, I'm new to this. I've got my coaching qualification. I'm going to be a coach and now I'm going to charge five grand a time. It's like, actually, you also can't do that. You have to have some sort of social proof and evidence that you're doing well, but it's having a plan that is right. Okay, the first one I sell, it's going to be a thousand. And the first three, I'm going to sell her at this price. And then I'm going to move it up. I remember talking to somebody who said, actually, what you should do is put prices on the floor and walk until you feel slightly sick. And then you come back slightly, right? (laughs) Which is the most bizarre thing. But you're kind of like, actually, it's no good. If you go in with a price that you're going to just vomit if you try, then actually you can't do that. Come back a bit. And then actually it might be fine. But also to put your prices up about every five customers. So start thinking about, right, okay, well, now I've got more experience of this. I get quicker. And I think lastly is to not price by the hour. So whilst I said you need to know your cost by the hour, don't ever price by the hour. Always go to a client with a fixed cost. Now people say, oh, I can't do that. What if it overruns? Build in a buffer, build in a 20% buffer of your time and you'll get better at it. You will get it wrong. But the client knows they're paying you a £1,000 to do this thing. And it's up to you how you deliver that. And as you grow your business and get quicker, you don't want to be earning less. So the first time you do something with a client, it takes you ages because you've got to set up all the forms. You've got to make sure you've got all the pre-work done and you've got to understand all their systems. But if you then say, right, now I can do this much quicker. Power Hour is a great example where I run Power Hours. The first time I ran it, it took me three or four hours to run it. Now I can do it in less than two but I still charge the same, in fact, I charge more now. 
So you want to be careful because it just totally punishes efficiency if you charge by the hour. But it's a really good guide to give you an idea of how to charge at the beginning. I loved what you were saying there about raising your prices every year by at least 5%. How much pushback do you get from clients when you're telling them these things? Because I can imagine a lot of people don't feel very confident doing that. Almost none. Like I said, I think because you're putting them up regularly, have it in your contracted terms and conditions and make sure you do it. You know, people have it in their terms and conditions and they don't do it. And then it's like, oh, it's a big shock when you do have to put your prices up. If you've got a situation where you've got a lot of ongoing clients, put them up regularly and give them good notice of three or four months. But generally, I think I've only ever had one person say, oh, no, that's going to be too expensive. And then I've downgraded their package. And you can kind of talk about, well, actually, if you still want to pay that, okay, well, we can tweak that package, we'll take that out, and then you can still pay the same. But I think it's being really clear that it does have to go up, you know, the cost of living goes up every year, because otherwise you can end up really, really behind. The easiest place is obviously to put it up for new customers and start advertising your prices as the new price with new customers. And go to the clients that you don't care if you lost. There is always a client where you're like, actually, they're my least favourite client. They're paying me not quite enough. And actually, they're a bit of a pain. Go to them first, because then if you lose them, you're not that bothered. Remember, if you double your prices and half your clients, you're in the same situation. And But yet you've got more time. So be aware that if you do a big price hike, yes, you might lose some people. But if 80% of them accept, you're probably making more money whilst working less. So I think it's trying not to be afraid of it. Give people notice. Make sure you've thought about, you know, the value that you add to them. Make sure that they love you. And I think you just have to go for it. And I think doing the kind of, it's an annual thing, it's the cost of living, you know, all of that makes it much easier to do rather than, oh, hello, I'm putting up my prices. I'm doubling my prices tomorrow. That is much less palatable somehow, I think. And what would you say to anyone who is perhaps struggling to onboard clients just now and might even be tempted to reduce their prices just to try and get some business through the door? What advice would you give them? So I think a lot of it is about personal circumstance. You know, if you need to get clients through the door and price is truly the sticking point, then you can reduce your prices. Be really careful of reducing your prices because the easy answer is, why are you not doing such and such? Oh, I can't afford it. So I don't want to go into, well, actually, I don't really like you. Or, you know, there's all sorts of things that are a bit personal. Whereas if you go, well, I can't really afford it. And I think if you're getting a lot of pushback on, I can't afford it, look at what else you could offer that is not so time consuming for you. So maybe you could do something that's a bit lighter touch for you with a bit less one-to-one. It is tricky at the moment. I think some businesses which are kind of nice to have, it's much more tricky. But I think that there are still plenty of people who are prepared to spend money and plenty of businesses who have money and plenty of consumers who still have money. You just need to make sure you're not trying to fish in the pond of people who are being very squeezed. And yes, there are some industries where that's a problem. You know, you can reduce your prices, but be really aware that whether that's actually what's going on. There's a bit of an excuse, isn't there? Like, I don't want to pay for that because, oh, there's a cost of living crisis. And it's like, there is, and absolutely it is a thing. And there are plenty of people who won't be able to afford it, but there are also plenty of people who still can. So it might be just tweaking your offering a bit to maybe offer to slightly different people, like, bigger businesses or corporates where people have still got money. And I think that's often the way to look at it. 
and certainly something that I've experienced in my business and I've heard a lot of my clients going through this as well is that some of the clients who are paying you less they're often the ones who take up most of your time is that something you would agree with? It's the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of your clients take up 80% of your time. And it's so true because the people that are paying less are probably watching their pennies much, much more. They're the ones that want to squeeze every little tiny bit of value out of their arrangement with you. Whereas actually those that have got a bit more money and it's not quite such a thing that as long as you deliver the results, they're not so bothered about exactly how much it costs. I think, yeah, you can pretty much guarantee that the cheapest clients, they're the most time consuming. They're always the ones that push your boundaries. And I think that's the other thing actually is when you're coming to fixed pricing and all of that sort of thing, you need to get really firm on your boundaries. So you need to say, I don't respond to client messages at weekends or whenever I'm not working, I don't respond. I have turnaround times and I stick to them. So it might be that you finish the work in 30 minutes, but actually you might go, well, actually, I don't let them know about that until the next day. So it's having really clear times. Now I've got kids, so actually they force quite a lot of boundary during well, term times and holidays, I guess. But, you know, my kids are relatively young. So at kind of half five, I need to stop. I need to go and get them from school or whatever. And actually I need to stop. So that helps me. And I don't work in the evenings and I don't work weekends. And I switch everything off. And I'm really careful to do that. But I think it's really easy for clients to massively, and I've done it myself as a client. You message somebody at the weekend because you're like, oh, I've just thought about that. But then you're like, whoa, they replied. I wasn't expecting them to reply. They could have left it till Monday. And I think it's kind of making sure that you have your boundaries. And if you don't want to be contacted by things like WhatsApp, don't respond. You know, go back to them through email or go back to them through Slack or however you like to communicate. Because actually, it's amazing how if you send a voice message, somebody else sends a voice message back. If that's not the way you like to respond, like to talk to people, don't send voice messages, do texts and stuff like that. So it's amazing how people go back in the same format as you have done. So it's tempting, I think, to be on all the time. I think especially when you've got your own business. And if you want to work weird hours, that's great. If you like working evenings, weekends, or that's how your business works, but make it really clear to clients when you're available and how quick the turnaround is. And you can just do that in really simple ways because I do work outside normal working hours a lot. So my email footer just says, I'm sending you this message outside traditional working hours because it suits me, but I don't actually expect you to reply until a time that suits you. And then I think you can set the boundaries that way as well, can't you? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think it's really easy, especially these days, you're sat on the sofa and you're looking at your emails in the evening and then you're like, oh God, there's a problem. And then at nine o'clock at night, you're there going, oh, I've got to deal with the problem now and I don't want to have to deal with that, you know. And again, it's that kind of keeping it contained so that you can be clear how much time it's taking you. Because all that time on the sofa where you're kind of ruminating and everything else, is still time that you'll spend energy on that client, even if you're not actually doing anything. That's what I was going to say, is that these boundaries, it's not just a nice to have. It's actually essential when you're running your own business, because otherwise you will deplete your energy reserves much more quickly, won't you? I think so. And I think, you know, COVID has blurred the boundaries enormously. You know, we used to go to the office or go to a co-working space or whatever it is that you do. Or I, I used to have certain days I worked for certain clients. Well, now it doesn't work like that. I dip in and out of different clients, all of that sort of thing. But actually, that can be quite dangerous. And I think that, you know, people leave their computers on and come back in the evening and all of that sort of thing. And I think it is being disciplined with yourself that there are certain times of the week or the day that you are not available and that you don't need to respond 
every second. But it, it is what works for you. It might be that having Sundays off is not the thing. You have a Tuesday and that's fine. The benefit of having your own business. I'd really like to set those boundaries with my kids when they're on holiday as well. <laughs> but they don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd like to do that too. I think mine are too young. <laughs> So something that I see a lot online in terms of a message that we are given, particularly as service-based business owners, is that we must charge our worth. What advice would you give to someone that is maybe a bit more practical about how they can actually do that? Worth's a funny thing, isn't it? It's like, what is that? But I think that the main thing is making sure that you are earning enough for you. And that's why it's difficult sometimes because you look at the competition or you look at perceived competition and you're like, well, they're earning loads of money. It's like, but you know, a lot of people who are earning that sort of money certainly have hustled hard for years. And what do you want? Like for me, I want to be able to have lots of the summer holidays off or the Christmas holidays. You know, I want to be able to have more time with my kids. I don't want to work Fridays. I actually want to work less than I would be able to in a job. So it's thinking about some of those sorts of things. And for me, worth is about I'm paying myself enough to do what I want to do with my money. You know, you might be looking out and going, oh, I can't do that at the moment. But it's like, well, how do I move to that sort of thing? And one of the things I have is a pricing calculator, right? Do it now because you'll be shocked because a lot of people find that they're not earning very much per hour when they look at how many hours they're actually working for a client and then do it for this is what I want to be earning and this is where I want my business to be and see the difference and start thinking about like if it's kind of like, well, it's currently like £30 an hour, but actually I need, for my dream world, I need to be £80 outside. Well, how am I going to move for between the two? And it might take you a bit of time, but how do you move between the two? But I think the notion of worth is different to everybody. For me, that's about flexibility and freedom that doesn't come with a job. For other people, it's very important to earn loads of money and work all the time, or they're managing a chronic health condition, or, you know, everybody's different. And what you don't see with online businesses, or with any business, I suppose, is what's going on behind the scenes and what their setup is at home, whether they need to earn money, you know, all of that stuff. And I think it's about thinking about what for you makes it worth you having that client as much as anything. Obviously, I totally agree. We don't know what people's circumstances are and they look like they're earning loads of money. I think it's also important to remember that they perhaps are not earning as much money as you think they are. I got a surprise the other week. I booked a session with somebody and the invoice came through and it didn't have any VAT on it. And I was so surprised because this person has over 60,000 followers or whatever on Instagram. And I thought, wow, you've just completely bought into those vanity metrics. <laughs> And then being shocked to find out that they haven't hit the VAT threshold. So that was a good reminder to me, <laughs> as well as other people, to kind of look beyond the figures online. Yeah. And of course, there's all this kind of discussion about six and seven figure businesses, but it's like, but that's the top line. That is what you're taking in from the customer. But you can be paying out so much. And these big entrepreneurs who are doing it have massive teams. You know, Denise Duffield Thomas talks all the time about, you know, she has a quite a big team underneath her and she's making a lot of money, but she's spending a lot as well. And you've got things like Facebook ads, which go just a money pit um, and all of that sort of stuff. You know, they might be taking less than half of that out or even a very small percentage. It doesn't tell you anything about what they're actually earning and taking home. It's not like a job where they're earning like 50 grand. You know, they might be taking home 20 grand a year. You just have no idea. And I think it's very dangerous to say all of that. 
Yeah, I've got a challenge coming up and I am purposefully not talking about running a six-figure business. I'm talking about having a business with tens of thousands of pounds of profit because that, to me, is a much more relevant benchmark for people. But then a lot of people don't really know what that means as well. So you have to be really careful because like everybody goes, well, I know what that six-figure turnover means, but I don't really know what does that mean. And actually, for, of course, for a small business owner, mostly profit is money in your pocket because you're not paying out to loads of shareholders and stuff like that. It's a thorny field for sure. So Sally, I would love to hear one kind of parting shot, one little nugget for the people listening to think about as they perhaps review their pricing over the next few weeks. So it would be to package up your services at a fixed cost. So stop pricing by the hour, work out how much you need to charge to make it worthwhile, how much you want to work and stop pricing in arrears by the hour. So start pricing upfront in packages. Excellent. Love that advice. And where can people go to get your help with pricing? So I'm on Instagram, which is at the pricing queen, or you can go to thepricingqueen.com forward slash audience growth. And there's a whole load of links to including the pricing calculator that I talked about. And my podcast, which is also called The Pricing Queen. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all your pricing pearls of wisdom. Take care. That's brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Big thanks to Sally Farrant, The Pricing Queen, for joining us on today's episode. I'm confident that a lot of you listeners are going to feel happier about raising your prices, whether that's with new clients or with existing clients, having listened to that episode with Sally today. Now, next week, I'm back with something different. So make sure you hit subscribe. Up until now, every single episode of the Audience Growth Podcast has been released on a Friday. But next week, it's going to be on Monday. If you're listening to this on the day of release, that is just three days from now. And the reason for that is that I have recorded a very special episode with a very special guest and I have also been a guest on her podcast. So what we're doing is we're releasing both episodes on the same day and you'll need to listen to her podcast for one half and this podcast for the other. So make sure you go and check out Teresa Heath Waring and her podcast which is called Your Dream Business. Teresa is another marketing expert So you'll be able to listen to both sides of our conversation across both of our podcasts next Monday, the 19th of September. Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified as soon as it comes out and I'll look forward to seeing you then. And remember, sign up to my free audience growth challenge right now via nikkihutchison.com forward slash October dash 2022 dash challenge or click the link in the show notes. Take care.